Welcome. Welcome. This may be the first time you've heard my voice. You may have seen several of my other videos through some of my different podcasts throughout the years. I like to introduce myself. I'm Dr. Jesse Morse. I am a sports medicine and family medicine physician that specializes in a combination of different sciences, including regenerative medicine, anti-aging or, or longevity medicine, as well as sports medicine. Now, the reason why I wanted to create this podcast that I, I, I called Eternal Vitality because I wanted to share some of the thoughts and just ideas that I treat patients with every day that I've seen throughout the years as medicine and, and science and technology evolve, we start to get more and more information and it's very difficult to get it in one pure source. Now, there are several people that I've you know, taken inspirations from, whether it's Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, Dr. Peter Atiyah, uh, Joe Rogan has been influential in, in some of his beautiful podcasting work. And you, know, you have several different sources to kind of give you a foundation of, of, of some of the ideas of why um, I wanted to start this. So let me kind of start back from the beginning and kind of go from there. Um, I'm originally from central Massachusetts, a place called Worcester, which is the, the other major city in Massachusetts. I have a, a, a mother, a father, and a brother, all of whom are, are thankfully still living. And, and a lot of my history comes from a, a being a hardworking middle-class family. That's how I've always been. Um, but then in my senior year of high school, back in 2002, I was involved in a significant car accident that unbeknownst to me would change my life forever. Now, before that, I knew I wanted to go to college. I knew I wanted to do likely something in medicine, but it wasn't super obvious, clear cut. My mom is a surgical technician. Translation, she hands the tools to the surgeons in the OR, and she would always tell me cool stories and whatnot. But I don't know if that was enough to push me to medicine. Well, on St. Patrick's Day, being predominantly Irish, we went out, had a good time, but it was snowing and cold as it usually is in the Northeast in mid-March. And unfortunately, the the angle that w the car took, I was in the back seat. Uh, we were going from one location to another, and, and the road was basically like an L, but the person driving had never been down this road. And instead of making an L, we hit black ice that eventually took us uh, not no longer on a road. We hit a telephone pole and did seven flips. And I was actually ejected on one of the flips. I woke up in the middle of someone's yard. Um, the car that I was just in was flipped over about 30 feet from me. My buddy who was sitting next to me in the backseat of the car was uh, bleeding uh, kind of in the driveway. And... I, I had actually woke up, kind of stumbled around, realized I had broken my arm. This was the third time, so it wasn't overly a big deal, but I was a little kind of disoriented and whatnot. And eventually the, the police officers came, ambulance came, and they said, uh, you know, you're involved in an accident. I was like, well, I just have a broken arm, no big deal. Go help my friends and then uh, address me. So that's what they did. Eventually I woke up in a hallway in a major hospital, actually the, the hospital that my, my mom actually worked at at the time, 
and I had a, a neck collar on, a C collar we call it, and I had just come out of the OR, and I had a procedure. I didn't know what it was, obviously, at the time, and they said, Mr. Morse, you were a millimeter away from being paralyzed and a centimeter away from death. You fractured four cervical vertebrae, but you pretty much got as lucky as you could possibly be. You do not need surgery. You fractured your arm pretty good. We put some plates in there. The team doc for the Red Sox actually happened to do it. They said you got lucky, but you're going to need a lot of rehab, but you should be good. So I said from that day forward, if I was going to die, that was the day I was going to die. And I took and I appreciated the care, the nurses, the physicians, the physical therapists, everyone involved in my care to get me back to a normal 18-year-old struggling through the grinds of high school, at prep high school, before I went off to college, but also trying to learn how to function again. That compassion, that empathy and, and, and sympathy eventually formulated who I've become and pushed me to a life of medicine. Now, I knew that medicine wasn't going to be easy. We don't go in medicine for the money, so to speak. There's a lot easier path to get rich. It is a long journey, right? Four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, at least three years of uh, residency, and then one or multiple years of fellowship. You're not done working or prepping and, you know, schooling until your 30s. But I felt like that was the path that I was chosen to go down. I initially thought I wanted to do psychiatry, but then I realized that that wasn't a good fit for me. And I eventually found my niche in family medicine and eventually sports medicine. Um, kind of, you know, walking backwards a little bit. After my my neck injury, I realized I couldn't handle the cold anymore. It was very difficult. My back was all jacked up. My joints hurt. I was I was relatively really tiny and thin at the time, probably about 150 pounds. So I just wasn't a very thick, muscular guy. And I, I knew that that it was going to be very difficult to function in the cold weather. And it just wasn't my, you know, it wasn't my forte. I, I just didn't think it was a good idea. So I ended up moving to South Florida. Uh, in Boca Raton, I went to Florida Atlantic, about a couple hours of where I live now in Miami. And I started my journey, met some amazing people along the way. One of my buddies convinced me, yes, you can make it in med school. Yes, you should do it. I didn't take the traditional route by any standards, but push comes to shove. I made it into medical school. I made it out of medical school. I made it into residency. I made it out of residency. I did a lot of my medical school training in Chicago during my rotations. And then I eventually went to a place called Creighton, which is in Omaha, which most people have no idea where it is. It's in Nebraska, a couple hours east of Denver and a couple hours west of Chicago, basically in between the two. And, you know, one of the things that kind of shaped me while I was in residency what most people don't really understand, uh, you know, the grind of residency, I was one of the last classes that actually uh, didn't have a cap on their on their hours. 
So uh, w- when I say that this is kind of how medicine used to be, and it's, it's significantly modified since, uh, it wasn't uncommon that I would be in the hospital for 80 to 100 hours a week. That was the normal grind of a resident. That's just what's expected. So that kind of provided me with my work ethic. You know, at Creighton, we had a very unique program. We actually had the contract, quote unquote, for all of the different immigrants that were relocated in the state of Nebraska every year. Now, may, many of you may not know this, but, you know, the, the United States government takes patients and, and, you know, people from throughout the world that are in need that redeposit them, basically relocate them and in, in, the immigrants into different parts of the United States and, and allow them to have a better life. Well, the location that I was at and, and the timing of when this was happening, the people that needed the most uh, need was in Nepal, Burma, Thailand, that part of the world. So my it was part of my responsibility to take care of these immigrants that none of them spoke English, maybe one or two out of 50, that many of them had never had a physician or a seen a pharmacy that didn't know what diabetes was, that had zero, you know, updated thought process of what medicine was. It just wasn't part of their culture. They were, they were sheltered. Uh, and, and, and trying to describe what diabetes is through two different translators is very, very, very challenging. Uh, but you learn and you, and you figure it out. And, and a lot of my teaching style and technique and analysis and the way I describe things stems from that. It, you know, because I had to figure out how to make these people understand they are in a much of a, a patriarchal society where they actually pretty much do whatever the doctor says, which is what I call the polar opposite of America. America is, is basically like a barter system. You make recommendations and they decide what they want to do. Frustrating as a physician because you, very, you, you rarely make headway when you have that much you know, pushback. But you know, you, I had patients that were normal, everyday American citizens, and then you had the immigrants that are polar opposite to them. So you know, doing that for about three years really helped me understand uh, just different facets of life, different levels of uh, of, of being "quote unquote" poor in in, in, in work ethic and whatnot. Um, when I realized I, I I really wanted to focus on sports, really wanted to focus on non-surgical aspects of, of orthopedics. I decided to do a fellowship. Um, I ended up doing an away rotation at the uh, University of South Florida in Tampa, which is one of, considered one of the best sports medicine fellowships in the country. And I fell, fell in love with it there. It was exactly what I was looking for. And I eventually went there and, and took care of many, many different professional uh, players, uh, high school players, uh, college players, uh, every different level. We had uh, the contract for the University of South Florida Sports, so all their different sports teams. We had the contract for many different high schools. So I took care of all their concussions and whatnot. And then I took care of the Philadelphia Phillies because they were in town as long as they're, as well as their high A team. And then I took care of the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. That's where their American headquarters are. Uh, so I had access to a lot of different professional athletes uh, at the time and seeing how they're you know, how they heal, how their work ethic was compared to say, uh, you know, the high school students that are just kind of have fun, uh, you know, whereas the professionals are actually getting paid some of them a lot of money to, to, to play. So that kind of helped me understand the, you know, work ethic and, and, and working with different levels of, of, of athletes. 
graduating from fellowship, I knew I wanted to stay in South Florida because I love it here. And I ended up going to a, a practice in orthopedics that I was considered their non-surgical specialist or one of them that took care of a lot of fractures, some concussions. Uh, and I was uh, doing a lot of joint injections, knee, shoulder, hip. Um, and a lot, a lot of the time seeing some of the post-op patients that were doing surgery, knee, hip uh, replacements. Um, and a lot of the times, and this is where I kind of realized that medicine is, is so upside down and backwards in the United States. And, and, and that's the crazy part about it is that, you know, I was seeing 20, 25, 30 patients a day, uh, you know, depending on the day. And, and, and what I realized was I'm not really dramatically changing the, the lives of these patients. I'm what I call band-aiding them. You have knee pain, secondary arthritis. All right, let's give you a cortisone injection, decrease the pain, not really change the joint at all. And then eventually we will get you some physical therapy, you know, if insurance pays for it, and then eventually have a knee replacement. That was the, the timeline. That was it. That's that, that in most places that continues to be it, you know, and, and I just felt like I was kicking the can down the road. You know, I wasn't doing these patients a service and I was running myself ragged. You know, in my first two years out of fellowship, I was already starting to get tired. I, I'm in my mid thirties, whereas most of my friends who were, who, who finished high school and finished college started working, you know, whatever job it was in their mid to late twenties, they're already making 50, 80, hundred K and didn't really have a whole lot of loans to pay. I didn't start working until I was 34 and had three, 400,000 to pay. So, you know, this, the, the field, the leagues were different and, and, and it's, and it was frustrating because, you know, physicians and, and medical are, are, are so important in everyday life, but you have such a long journey to get there. And then they don't even really give you, you know, the insurance kind of runs the show. Oh, you know, we're only going to, we used to pay a hundred dollars a patient. Now we're only going to pay 50. So instead of seeing 15 a day, now you have to see 30. You can't possibly see a patient, understand what's going on with them, reason with them, figure out, you know, what makes them tick, why they're not doing as well as they should be in eight to 12 minutes. You can't do it. It's not possible. And oh yeah, come back next week and we'll continue. What kind of broken relationship is that? I'm like, this is not what I want to do. So, you know, I said, you know what? Uh, this is not for me. Th this type of medicine is not for me. So I said, you know what? We're going to, we're going to mix it up. We're going to find a practice that is not insurance based, that actually treats the whole patient, the root cause, and we're actually going to make positive change in a patient's lives. I can't control whether or not insurance pays for your care, but I can promise you that you're going to get the best care that you can get. Spend an hour, hour and a half with each patient talking about your knee injury, your shoulder injury, what the different options are, both traditional and non-traditional. Looking at patients that have heavy metal poisoning, Lyme disease, uh, mold poisoning, complicated autoimmune diseases, cancer, and trying to figure out what's wrong, whether it's genetic, whether it's epigenetic, whether they're missing you know, different levels of, of enzymes or, or um, you know, vitamins, finding the root cause. 
and then using different modalities and different things to actually make a positive change. So rather than seeing your physician for 15, 20 minutes and then trying to jump through hoops for them to pay for an MRI, pay for them to get a decent quality physical therapist that you don't have to share with five other people at once. That's not medicine. I, I don't know what it is. It's, it's sick care. It's not healthcare. It's sick care. You know, the, and I'll talk about this in, in, in an upcoming podcast, but the way I view healthcare in America is, is the polar opposite of what you probably think of it as. And that's because I see it from this side and not, and not that side. You know, the problem with healthcare in America is that it's a combination of management. They're not treating things, they're managing them. Why do you have to continue to take that med? Because they're managing a problem. If you had a proper treatment, you'd do it once and it'd be treated or a series of times and it'd be treated. That's not the case. So, you know, I found a place in Miami that, that really fit what I was looking for. And, and, and that's why uh, I kind of evolved and I've been there for almost four years now. And, and, you know, in my current practice at the osteopathic center, we have four different offices. I predominantly at the one in Miami and, and, you know, it's a combination of regenerative medicine. So your quote unquote stem cell, whether it's prolotherapy, which is the original, uh, basis from 1800s and late early 1900s. Uh, then you have PRP, your, your, your platelet rich plasma coming from the blood. Then you have your quote unquote stem cell, whether it's coming from your hip, your fat, or, or what we call allografts, different types of growth factors. And then you have just overall health optimization, addressing um, what are the different toxins in your body that are causing things to break down, that are causing things to develop. The way I look at, at medicine is, is different. I see aging as a accumulation of toxins over the years. And each of us have different genetics, which account for about 20 to 30% of our diseases and, and of our life. And then 70 to 80% is epigenetics. What you do, what you don't do, what you eat, what you don't eat. If you smoke, drink, if you exercise, what supplements you take, you know, where you live, how stressed you are, different levels of things. So that's the way I see things. We use different tests to uh, identify biological age, how much heavy metal, maybe mercury will say. How much mold or mycotoxins in your body? If you have Lyme disease that you didn't know about for the past five years, which is quite common. Different levels of kidney disease. What type of cancer you have? We run tests that check 50 cancers at once that you probably have never heard of. You know, part of the reason for this podcast is to share my knowledge. And, and, and whether you live in America, whether you live in Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Cambodia. I, I don't care where you live. That's the benefit of the internet. That's the benefit of, of, of global podcasting is that we have the luxury of being able to, to provide information and spread ideas. And, and we're not limited to just our physical space. You know, I'm doing this from the comfort of my home, but you know, I could be on a stage, whether it's at a conference or, or whatnot. But my goal is to ultimately talk about some of the things that most of you may never have heard of, but it's not because you don't deserve to hear about it or you're, you're not, not privileged to that information. It's because traditional medicine doesn't address it that way. And, and in, in my opinion, knowledge is power. 
you, you don't know what you don't know is one of my favorite sayings because it's so true. Once you learn something, you can happily go down a rabbit hole and, and, and figure out, okay, is that something for me? Or maybe that's just good, valuable information. And then other times it's like, oh, well, that, that was helpful, but it didn't really, you know, it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't really apply to me. And that's fine. But, you know, part of my practice, a lot of my practice is sports medicine and is regenerative medicine and, 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 and trying to optimize and fix an injury. Um, I have a lot of professional athletes. I predominantly specialize in the NFL, but, uh, you know, I, I, we high level crossfit, you know, tennis stars, golf stars, um, pro wrestlers, you name it. We've seen it. A lot of baseball players, you know, um, not a whole lot of hockey, but they exist. So, you know, why do professional athletes, and we'll, we'll cover this in a few future episode. Why do professional athletes heal at such a higher level? And there's so many different answers to that. Um, you know, why are there different locations throughout the United States, throughout, you know, the, the Western hemisphere and, and, and to an extent, the Eastern, uh, part of the, the world that have different levels of stem cells, different types of stem cells, different types of regenerative medicine techniques that are safe for the most part, depending on where you are and what you're doing, um, that can help, you know, we'll talk about that. That's one of my passions. That's one of my, my, my insights. Um, I'll talk about my injection technique and a lot of the traditional techniques of what I call subpar and why eventually most people end up going to surgery because they don't fix the whole tissue. They only fix a little piece that they think is injured. Um, we'll talk about some of the modalities that, that, that I use to help my patients get better faster that professional athletes probably use daily. Many of them may sleep in, and we'll talk about that, whether it's something called methylene blue or NAD, or hyperbaric chambers, or different levels of IVs, ozone. You have all different things that are unbelievably effective that are not considered the standard of care, at least in America. Um, so I personally believe that I'm practicing medicine the original way it was meant to be practiced. We mix a little bit of Eastern medicine. We have acupuncture. We have energy. We have different things that some people think are frou-frou and other people say, yeah, that's real. That's been around for thousands of years. It actually works. You know, so uh, th this is kind of my introduction to that. Thank you for joining me. I I'm glad you have made it here. Stay tuned. My first podcast will be about something called peptides, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, they've been around for a long time. I'll kind of break them down and exactly what it is. Um, if, if you wouldn't mind, please share this with your friends, your colleagues. And, and my goal is to grow and, and, and share my ideas. I'm going to have some fantastic guests along the way, regular people, scientists, other physicians, professional athletes, professional trainers, all, everything, different levels of, of people that are that have subspecialties that I find fascinating, and I think you will too. Please uh, help me and 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 boost this up the charts so that other people can can enjoy and experience and learn. Maybe by leaving a five star review if you feel it appropriate. Stay tuned to the next episode. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm Dr. Jesse Morse, and this is Eternal Vitality Podcast, Episode One.